0: Welcome to the Health Conscious Podcast, a creation by Cornell students in the Sloan Health Administration Program. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast explores healthcare trends in today's world. And now, please welcome your hosts, Daniel and David.
1: Today, we have a very special guest on. Dr. John Wigneswaran, or Dr. Wig as he's known, is Walmart's chief medical officer. He leads safety, quality, and training, along with the Walmart Healthcare Research Institute, Clinical Development Program, Innovation, and Medical Affairs. He joined Walmart from Cigna, where he served as the Chief Medical Officer for Express Scripts. Prior to that, he held a variety of roles in the pharmaceutical, medical device, PBM, and healthcare services industries, including Davida and Johnson & Johnson. He has nearly two decades of clinical experience as a practicing nephrologist and was recently appointed as a board member for the National Kidney Foundation.
0: Dr. Wigg completed his undergraduate studies at Cornell University, go Big Red, and attended medical school at the Tufts University School of Medicine. He later completed his nephrology fellowship at New York Presbyterian and his internal medicine residency at Rhode Island Hospital. He later pursued an MBA from the MIT Sloan School of Management. Welcome to the show, Dr. Wigg. It's a pleasure to have you on.
2: Thanks guys, pleasure to be with you guys.
1: So I th- I think a great place uh, just to start off would be you know why did you want to be a physician and enter the provider space and why nephrology specifically?
2: Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. You know, I I stumbled into uh, into healthcare. My dad was a pediatrician. Uh, growing up, I actually was really heavily involved in music and had a bunch of life experiences, and I ended up kind of going back to something that felt familiar. And for good, you know, for good reason. It just, it, it uh, used to be with my dad in his practice. And so a lot of the things that sort of I took for granted, I, you know, kind of reconnected with. Um, and then with nephrology, um, you know, the patient population nephrology is typically it's an underserved population. It's, uh, uh, you know, the life expectancy of a dialysis patient is, you know, three to five years. So it's, it's a very needy population. And, you know, that like those types of opportunities because you could you could really lean in on people that you know that need your help
0: yeah i completely agree renal failure patients are a subpopulation that are in need of a lot more providers within the space to give them the proper care needed so i also wanted to get a better understanding of your transition to more of an administrator role within the healthcare space were there any specific trends that you saw that led to your transition into being a leader, and now it's your role at Walmart.
2: Yeah, you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have a, a desire or even a plan to go into uh, to industry. I had uh, finished my fellowship. I took a job at a um, really great practice in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, it's one of the largest practices in Ohio, one of the oldest practices, and um, and I ended up uh, meeting a uh, a pharma executive for a small biotech company, and I started working with them. And I just fell into it from there. You know that company was bought by Johnson and Johnson, and I started working in medical affairs there. This is while I was practicing, and I every point in my career, even after I left practice, was more about you know trying to figure out what I needed to learn. So, whether it's medical affairs or medical device or business development, you know, you I've just found myself just um, trying to fill those gaps, and um, so never really had a had a plan. Wish I did, but kind of fell into it.
1: Wow, as someone who's made such a name for himself in the industry, it's hard to believe that you didn't really have a plan. <laughs> We're going to jump into the Walmart questions in a sec, but in the spirit of keeping the podcast a little bit less formal, we will also be throwing in some personal questions throughout. So, as you know, both David and I are currently graduate students in the MHA program, and I also attended undergrad here like you. So I wanted to hear a little bit more about your favorite memory from your time at Cornell, and it can't be
2: sloped day. Um, I probably my favorite memory is not going to be exciting, was being in the fishbowl basically all the time. So, I probably wasn't as smart as you two. I was in the fishbowl every Friday and Saturday, so I had to really put the time in. Um, but yeah, that was that was what I remember from Cornell was the fishbowl right. and finding, uh finding a good chair.
1: Nice, was, was it called fishbowl back then, or was it like the actual?
2: It was called the fishbowl just mainly because it just looked like you know, with the windows.
1: Oh. I I totally understand that. I was pre-med and undergrad too. So I can relate to spending a Saturday night in Uris Library while everyone's out partying. But I can't say I regret it.
0: So switching gears, um, Dr. Wigg, could you please give us an intro into more of the Walmart health and wellness services and your exact role within the company?
2: Yeah, so I think you know a lot of people don't know um, a lot about Walmart and healthcare, but the company's been in healthcare since the 1960s. And it's a, a very significant footprint. You know, there's, you know, over um, uh, five thousand stores. Uh, you know, in the United States and Puerto Rico, four thousand of the stores are in um, federally underserved areas, and uh, there's pharmacies in all those uh, stores. So it's a very significant retail pharmacy footprint. Um, we also have, you know, dental practices, primary care, telehealth. Um, we have a social determinants business. Um, and then obviously the things that I'm I'm doing now, which I could go into, but um, but I think what's what's pretty remarkable is you know there's a Walmart within 10 miles of 90% of the population. You know there's over 150 million people that go through the store every week. It's a very very um, great opportunity to do a lot of good, and you know the company's sort of been in, in healthcare for a long time, and that's really our strategy is to to help people live better and and um, and have more affordable. Uh, services and care and and so that's part of what the what the help business does.
1: We know that Walmart has 2.3 million employees. So is your role specifically involved with taking care of them as well or is it primarily kind of the general population that Walmart
2: serves? Yeah, so it's a little bit of of all and it's just not me. There's a there's a pretty uh, unique team of uh, leaders within the healthcare space um, from the, you know, the pharmacy benefits management space, there's people from large health systems, our chief quality officers from Mass General. But the way you can look at uh, the medical office role is that, like you're mentioning, we do offer um, guidance and assistance for, for the health and wellness of our, uh, our associates um, across the country. But then we also have a service to sort of provide the best care for people that are using our health services. So um, so for example, one of the reasons when I came in, um, there was a lot of different business decisions to make, but, uh, we focused on quality and safety is because that really was something that could have the, the greatest impact. So if you think about somebody living in the rural in a rural area, and you have your chief quality officer for Mass General, very few people can actually be exposed to that level of academic cred, um, you know, and just even that hire alone was very impactful. Um, so um so hopefully that answers your question but yeah
1: interesting so is walmart approaching talent by taking people from these large health systems and bringing them to walmart to match that level of academic medical care
2: well so so the way that you should think about is not that we're taking people from a health system is that we have people that come into a walmart every week right so there's 150 million people Mm -hmm. going through the stores those individuals would get exposed to pharmacy services or to our primary care clinics or telehealth. And so everything that we do, and you guys are, you know, part of that ilk, you know, we tried to take an academic approach to making sure are these evidence-based guidelines, is this sort of the best in class for clinical care? But then couple that with the fact that we're in the community, we're trusted within the community. We have re- deep relationships with patients and customers. And so um, it was more that approach. Um, because ultimately for me, you know, if you take a step back and you say, you know, what, what should the CMO office should, would be about is we want this to be coming to Walmart to be cinema synonymous with you going to a major academic center. You should be thinking about it. Like you're going to a Sloan Kettering or to UCSF um, because that's what our customers deserve. And not to say there's not many other great health systems out there, but we wanted to really try to offer the best.
0: So you mentioned a few pinpoints on how Walmart is trying to advance and provide care to many individuals across the country. And as we've seen, healthcare has drastically changed over the last few years, and many large retail corporations such as CVS and Amazon have entered the provider space. What makes Walmart stand out from their competitors?
2: Yeah, no, it's a really, really great question. Um, And I'll probably answer it by when you guys asked me about my career and coming to where I am. You know, there's a lot of people that could do the role that I've been. You know, there are a lot of clinical experts and leaders across the country. And, and the one thing that I've always tried to remind myself is, you know, you don't, for, for a regular individual who's living their life, you don't want to get bogged down by, I'm doing something innovative, I'm doing something transformational, I'm trying to compete against a CVS or Walgreens. I think the reason we've been very successful is that we do whatever our customers need. And so, you know, for example, we sell uh, probably the largest amount of cash based insulin every year. One of the things that we did um, beyond having a very low price for insulin is we uh, couple that with a discount to a Nestle boost shake. And, you know, so we're able to do a lot of different things that make a big difference in someone's life. Um, And we're not really leaving that we're not trying to reinvent healthcare. We're trying to think about where are the things that we can play in that have a real meaningful day impact in somebody's life today? And I think that's what gives us a lot, of, uh, a lot of differentiation in the market.
1: I recently saw that Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drugs Company stopped their effort into direct-to-consumer insulin because it was just so difficult. What's your opinion on the Cost Plus Drugs Company and their model? And is that something you can comment on?
2: I mean, I think the, you know, the PBM economics are, you know, it's almost an exercise in arbitrage. You know, you, uh, there are multiple ways, and it's not just the PBM, wherever you are in the health system, there are multiple ways that, um, you know, value is generated, whether it's financial or clinical. I think with, um, whether it's the work that um, is being done within the, that PBM or, or others, Ultimately, it comes down to just sort of, you know, what's the cost that somebody's willing to pay? So, for example, that's not a new concept. Um, Many of the current PBMs have had sort of a cost plus model. It's just that people haven't taken advantage of it. Uh, There are other sort of factors that come into, you know, the cost of a drug that actually impacts patients. So, for example, if a drug is very high priced and there is a rebate associated with it, those dollars actually come back into, for example, the plan sponsor, and it it helps with the costs of other people in that plan. So it's not always about the low cost. The other thing for us is that you know a real value is that we're able to use our scale to try to drive those prices down, and and you'll you'll see more of that. Um, we have a generic program where people can buy you know a almost a hundred different um, medications, and so. There's a lot of ways that we can we can make uh, make a difference and so it's all related to, to that, but the economics are pri- are quite um, complex. Yeah, that
1: scale must be a real tool for Walmart. On that note, you mentioned previously that there's a Walmart within 10 miles of 90 percent of the population. So I was wondering, how does being local to the communities you're trying to serve affect the method in which you deliver care?
2: Yeah, no, I think it's probably the the probably one of the biggest differentiators for us, uh, and maybe a great example would be our research institute. So you may have read we started a research institute almost a, a little bit over a year ago, and one of the thing, the reasons we started it was not to generate a ton of academic papers and you know um, you know go down that path. That we really looked at it as an opportunity to change um, the care of a patient. So if you came into a Walmart. Um, you're typically not the type of person that is being represented in the clinical study. Um, It's usually a certain demographic, a certain age. And these are drugs that are being used in our patient population. So what we can do is, uh, you know, we have roughly almost 5 million people that have opted into getting message alerts on research. We can find patients for studies and we can do that because we have a relationship with the patient. They're willing to talk to us. They're able to sort of trust us. We're already you know interacting with them for adherence reminders for their vaccines, et cetera. So it kind of gives us an opportunity to do, you know, even if someone doesn't get involved in a, in a study, their health literacy might rise. They, they may have a better experience with the clinician. They may learn about their disease. And on the flip side, we're able to provide a, you know a service to pharma, which is very, very challenging uh, of finding patients in a really quick time for, for important studies.
1: And I'm sure it also helps with getting the Walmart health and wellness brand out there. As the organization expands its services, having that connection with patients where they can learn more about healthcare and participate in the research allows them to build their trust in Walmart and look to get more and more of their care there.
2: Yeah, I think, and I, I think we, always, we always take a look at this less about the brand as more about what's best for our patients. And so, you know, an example of that is that we don't do every clinical study we do the studies that are really important to our patients. So, you know, whether it's obesity, whether it's uh, vaccine studies, um, you know, we don't have to do everything. And so we we try to take a really hard look that if we are gonna talk to someone about something, it has to be impactful. And so um, that's been sort of the approach we've taken with, you know, whatever initiative we we launch out.
1: Yeah, I think having that focus is the key because at Walmart size, there are just so many opportunities but keeping it relevant to your patient population is very important. So diving a little bit deeper, is there a sector of healthcare that you are most eager to see the development of?
2: Wow, that's a loaded question. I'd answer it in two ways. So one is, I kind of want to see the development of things that we can do today. And so, you know, things like what we talked about, if you lower the price of drugs, or if you have services that are available to people that don't get it, um, that's something that can make an impact today. I think futuristically, you know, the things that I've been sort of interested in is uh, you know, diagnostics, um, particularly diagnostics where you're able to tell whether a drug is more appropriate for a patient you know, based on uh, traditional and non-traditional data elements. Um, I like the lab space a lot, particularly you know, um, what you can do and learn from blood and you know genomic profiling. And then obviously everybody's talking about AI. It can be interesting to see what happens there, but you know those three areas are, are interesting. So are any of these three areas,
0: whether drug diagnostics, genetic profiling, or AI, as you mentioned, some that Walmart is looking into devoting um, their resources and efforts into in the next
2: few years? So we, you know, while it might not be something we're doing today, the company as a whole has, is leads on many of these fronts. So whether it's AI or others, you know, the other parts of our business have, have um, you know, um, different work streams where you're exploring things that might be appropriate so I think all of that stuff is is things that we we look at and uh, try to prioritize what's what's important
0: yeah that's great to have an organization at that scale in which technologies that are being researched for different areas can later on be implemented for the health and wellness area as well Uh, so how does Walmart decide the medical services that will be provided in new locations markets and cities the company is looking to expand into and open new clinics up?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, so the, we have a clinic strategy in terms of where we want to put our clinics. You know, and it all has to do with sort of what the need is in the area. So, you know, if you have a rural area where there's not a primary care spot, but, you know, there's clearly going to be a Walmart, that's a really important thing for us. Um, so that's, that's uh, there's, a, there's a lot of thought that gets put into that. But other services are really about what helps our patients. So we have, and within the pharmacy, you know, we have six, over 16,000 pharmacists we have a test and treat program where you can come in and get a test, whether it's for flu, COVID, and get the appropriate medications. And, you know, where we really can make a big difference is in things that may not be as traditionally, you know, complex healthcare wise. So for example, if you were shopping and you were, and we noticed you were looking for Kleenexes or Robitussin, that might generate a visit for, you know, for you, you know, it might be important for you to talk to a pharmacist about potentially a therapeutic option. So there are ways that we can sort of understand based on how well we know our our customers, what might be appropriate, and that's sort of how we think about, you know, what services we, we offer.
0: Walmart Health and Wellness initially started their clinics within organizations that were drastically underserved and lacking various physicians and other resources. How does your organization ensure that you're able to properly staff and incentivize physicians and other clinicians from across the country to come into these rural communities?
2: Yeah, you know, I think it, it is probably the same way that, that you would attract someone even um, in a, in a uh, clinic or a hospital. You know, people who go into primary care, and particularly those that choose to um, serve communities that are underserved, they have a mission and passion. And we really look for the people that have that mission and passion. So beyond all the other things where we're competitive with, whether it's salary and, and just, you know, work-life balance, et cetera. We're really looking for people that put the customer first and want to be there. You know, many of us, even on the leadership team, uh, we didn't have to leave our current roles. You know, I think most of us were pretty happy. We came here for a reason to, to do something different.
1: To move back a couple of years, how have you seen healthcare change as a result of the COVID pandemic? Health inequities became really clear during this time with sharp differences in how different communities were affected both physically and financially. So what are some of the impactful initiatives that healthcare leaders can take to bridge gaps and improve health equity?
2: Yeah, so I, th- I think, um, I mean, the obvious things were, you know, the the, the virtual way of uh, providing care changed and was accelerated. I think the other thing is that um, we weren't really thinking about a Walmart or retail settings in that instance. And, and you saw, you know, we were one of the first, if not the first to start with, you know, pretty large scale COVID vaccinations. Um, at that time. And when you think about it, you know we are in the best position to do that because we're in the community. and and more than that, you know, all of the apprehension um, that people had in terms of the disease and and the vaccine, our pharmacists were able to kind of um, use the relationships that they have built to have those conversations. So um it certainly uh, changed the way that we think about care um, in that way. And I think the other thing for me personally as a physician is, you're starting to see people um, that, you know, the consumer as being much more um, aware of their care. Um, they're a lot, um, you know, they they have a lot of opinions and, and perspectives that I think are really important that maybe traditional healthcare would not really listen to. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that I noticed is that, you know, everyone has, can series something, they can Google something and uh, it really had to. You had to raise your game to really begin to talk to people in ways that you know you could try to have a really great conversation and and talk about their concerns and and feelings.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think the, the COVID pandemic has definitely made people a lot more health conscious. Not only health conscious podcast, uh, not only for you know just just COVID, but in general, people started realizing that their health is not something to be taken for granted, and that you know things really have to be taking a day at a time and, and make sure that they're doing everything they can to to ensure that they're, they're keeping themselves healthy.
2: Um, yeah, I, I think the I think the part of, you know, one of the things that that I've always liked about um, when I first came onto the company is, you know, we have an opportunity to kind of um, reduce the stigma. For example, if you're coming in to talk to someone at a, at a Walmart, uh, you're more likely to talk to your pharmacist that you know and that you see as part of your shopping day. And and we, we see tremendous opportunities to be able to talk to people in a way that, you know, we're trusted, you know, we care about um, what what happens to someone. And it's a very different relationship than if you're, you know, walking into a, a sterile office and uh, or a health system. So um, that's been pretty powerful to see.
0: Yeah, ha- having grown yeah. up shopping at Walmart, most of my childhood and left so far uh, I completely agree with that it's a it's a different experience a big differentiator compared to walking into the hospital into into a clinic the doctor's office being able to just walk down the aisles and do your shopping as well while you get your medical care maybe right before right after is is a very interesting and different way of providing
2: care yeah no I think you know uh, we have a um, a group of associates uh, our, that are our community health workers and so you can see situations where if you are diabetic and you come in and you've seen your primary care doctor, uh, they may take you on a on a shopping trip to look for healthy foods. There might be discounted foods. Um, you know, we have the largest selection of organic foods. So the opportunities to really kind of do things that make sense in someone's life are, you know, are, are pretty powerful. And so
1: instead of them telling you, you know, you should buy this food and this food and this food you you walk them down the aisle and you show them which food which food to buy
2: you show them and and you could potentially give them you know some financial incentive and um and that's where when you know i think we've had some really great discussions whether it's with payers employers that uh, some of those things are really really important um with regards to what they're trying to do they can't make those types of day-to-day decisions in the typical traditional healthcare practice but we can and so that that i think is a really great opportunity for partnership
1: yeah, I think it opens a lot of doors for creativity in regards to value-based care and preventative care approaches. So I'm really interested to see the scale and impact of this concept as Walmart Health & Wellness expands. Is there a different mindset you're taking with this role in comparison to your previous roles you've had, whether that was at Davita or Express Scripts?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the mindset is, um, maybe comes out of, out of just years of um, just realizing, you know, you just don't know as much as you think you do and so you know, having a uh, you know kind of an approach where you know it's okay to not know something it's okay to uh, try to learn every day I've taken that approach and I've also taken the approach of this trying to do things that make a difference today and so it doesn't have to be innovative it doesn't have to be transformative to make a difference in someone's life and so the mindset now is I just want to make an impact today and, and it's been more more about that you know when you start your career you're you're chasing a bunch of things, and um, ultimately, it doesn't make a big difference at the end. So those are some important words of advice to you.
0: Thank you for those words. We we're just about to transition to a similar question. Um, so lastly, uh, tailoring to our audience of early careers within the healthcare space, both clinical and administrative, what advice do you have as they start off their career?
2: So, you know, the the one thing that I think folks should really think about is, you know, the the world of being a subject matter expert is is going to go away. You know, um, everyone can can find the information. And so you have to really be a person that knows how to execute. You know how to need to know how to operate. So are you able to put together a presentation that, you know, that makes sense? That is, uh, you know, that's an executive level deck. uh, do you know how to work through um, setting up KPIs and metrics? You know, um, do you have you can you run teams? Those are probably more important. I think where I've seen a lot of struggles is uh, individuals who rely on their, you know, their credentials and um, all that fun stuff, and it it just doesn't it doesn't really make sense anymore. I would rather have someone who knows how to execute. Uh, everything else you can learn, and so um, that's one thing that I've I think is going to become more and more important. As we go forward.
1: Yeah, that's fair. As, you know, as David and I kind of enter our careers next year, that's that's exactly what we're targeting is not really the position or the title. It's it's really the, the the skills that you're going to be getting, you know, trying to maximize how much we learn in the time period to really, you know, have that effect on us, that compounding effect as we go on into our careers. So I wanted to transition a little bit. You know, we, we try to keep this podcast a little bit more lighthearted. So we have a couple trivia speed round questions for you. So I want you, we're just going to ask the question and you say the first thing that comes into your mind. Is that cool?
2: Um, all right, let's go. Okay. Favorite food? Chicken fingers.
0: Favorite movie genre? Uh,
2: drama. Favorite place to travel? Uh, my house. Favorite sports team? Chicago Bulls.
1: And finally, for our Cornell listeners, Favorite place to eat in
2: Ithaca? Uh, You know, I used to eat a lot at Rulof's. I don't know if that's still there. Is it still there?
1: No. Uh, Not that I know of, no. about that
2: cafe? uh, There was some cafe that, um, like a dessert cafe. A dessert cafe It's like Oh, oh, the dairy bar? Oh, damn. I think all this stuff is not there anymore. So, can't help you It could be College Town Bagels. (laughs) No, it definitely wasn't that. It was Rulof's, but, uh, well. That's sad. Yeah, you're gonna to have to take
0: a quick trip up to Africa.
2: We have to do that. That's good. Well,
1: listen, Doctor Rick, thank you so much for you know taking the time to speak with us. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing where Walmart Health and Wellness goes.
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys reaching out. I think you know it's a testament to you to reach out the way you did, and um, you know when you try to have these different perspectives and conversations it makes a big difference. So appreciate you guys, uh, including us.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Rigg. Thank you for listening to the Health Conscious Podcast. Stay tuned in for our next episode by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed. And follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at the Health Conscious Podcast for updates and exclusive behind the scenes. See you next time.